Hello, Marvelites! You're listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale August 3rd, 2022. It's the kickoff to Spider Month. Spider Month! I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. Yeah, we are here talking about. Best time of the year. Spiders. Spiders. Just spiders, only spiders. Actually, spider hyphens. Spider hyphens. Lots of spiders, um, lots of everything, actually. We're going to talk about all kinds of comics this week because we are the official Marvel Comics podcast for Marvel, right? Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we're going to talk about all the brand new comics out this week. Uh, We're going to give you our picks for our favorite books. Uh, We're going to give you a quote to find in one of the comic books this week. We're going to tell you what's hitting Marvel Unlimited, what collections are on sale, and even get into a reading club with a guest. What's our reading club this week? We are talking to Edge of Spider-Verse writer Alex Segura, who will be talking to us about Amazing Spider-Man Coming Home, which is the beginning of J. Michael Straczynski's Amazing Spider-Man run from the early 2000s. Yeah, real good. Going to be a lot of fun getting into that, especially with the Spider-Verse of it all. Um, We've got Spider-Verse stuff to talk about. We've got some X-Men stuff to talk about. (sighs) A whole lot. A whole lot. Before we get into books, Ryan, yes. simple question. Mm-hmm. Outside of Peter Parker, or like the main 616 Peter Parker, who's your favorite Spidey? Are we also saying Miles is out? Ooh. No, you can say Miles. You can say well, Miles. Well, I would say Miles. Want. Miles is so such like a perfect character. He's got a great family. Yes. He's got a great supporting cast. He's got troubles. He's different enough from Peter. Um, has had great stories. Like Miles is a really just kind of incredible find for the last what 10 15 years like to have in in the canon so good Mm -hmm. what about you araña has always been one of my favorites um anya corazon also another like perfect like spider-man for me or spider girl for me just because she has like her own lore and history and i love seeing how some of that has infected i guess the rest of the spider-verse um or how it's been injected into the rest of it with the spider totem and stuff yeah Always super fun. Uh, over at Comic-Con a couple weeks ago, last week, two weeks, whatever it was, we had a panel uh, for mm-hmm. This Week in Marvel, which was also a Spider-Man panel. And I, I had a little game that I put into the panel. Even though I wasn't there, they, I assumed that they played it. And it was uh, a game called Are They a Real Spidey? The first was Takoya Yamashiro is a motocross racer who was given spider powers after being injected with the blood of an alien from planet Spider. This Spider-Man has a spaceship named Marveler, which can transform into the giant mech slash robot called Leopardon. Spidey fights to avenge his father's death and protect his planet, battling Professor Monster, the Iron Cross Army, and any other threats that cross his path. You almost tripped me up with the motocross part because I forgot about I that. I know. But right? I know that that's a real spider. Yeah. That's um, that's Spider-Man from the 70s Japanese TV show. Uh, the next one is Peter Pooper is Spidey-Man, the superstar hero of New York City, beloved by men, women, and children. Sandwiches are named in his honor. He's a magazine centerfold. He has a fan club. His adventures are sponsored by car companies, and he strikes fear into his enemies' hearts because he fights for keeps. Everyone loves him except for full-time Fink, the editor of The Daily Bagel, J. Jawbone Junkton. One of Spidey's biggest <laughs> adventures and most crushing defeats comes when he goes toe-to-toe with a dynamical duo of Natman and Rotten. Real or not? I'm going to go with not. You would be wrong. That is from no. Not Brand Ech. 
Number two, uh-huh. I I pulled uh, the issue off my spinner rack to make sure I got all of my details straight. That's great. For it. Uh, that's uh, Earth 665, if anybody's mm-hmm. interested, and you can read about that. Um, then there's Peter Parked Car is the sleek and sexy Spider-Mobile. <laughs> a member of the multiversal web warrior, Spider-Mobile battles alongside Spider-Horse, a living action figure Spidey, a cartoon Spidey, yes. and more. This is yeah. one of my favorite Spideys. Yes. Yes. It's, it is very true. It is, uh, we see uh, Peter Parked Car in, <laughs> so in, in the original Spider-Verse story. So fantastic. So good. I love Spidey. <laughs> and it all is in hers incarnations. Yeah. Um, so lots of Spidey stuff. That, yeah. But we got to get into our new books for the week, starting with our top picks. I'm going to kick us off with Immortal X-Men number five. Now, we originally we were going through our picks and we we had another book, which was also really freaking good up here. But then we, we started talking about Immortal X-Men and we we're just like, you know what? It's got it's got to be it's got to be got to be on the list written by Kieran Gillen art by Michele Bandini colors by David Curiel and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This is a huge issue pretty much focused on the character Exodus. Mm -hmm. And so Exodus is this like super religious zealot mutant incredibly powerful nearly immortal um, psychic powers like Omega Omega level really really wild but and i think jasmine you and i both had the same reaction like exodus is super cool i love the character mm-hmm. design but never a character that i fully clicked with right same yeah. and the other thing too that i liked about that is that like i didn't i don't i still don't know a whole lot about him but i felt like this issue gave you a lot and enough backstory to kind of get you caught up on who he was oh yeah yeah this is a, a huge issue to tell you what Exodus's like origin is, where like where they come from, how they are connected to mutant kind, um, what their stance is and everything. All of that amidst it being a pretty big Avengers X-Men Eternals Judgment Day tie-in issue. Um, this happens like right at the beginning of the Eternals attack on Krakoa that we see in X Judgment Day number one that was out a week or two ago. So basically it's it's just like Here's Exodus. He friggin' rules. Bow down before our uh, like purpley red guy. Yes. And there's like a, a page here that kind of like shows the battle strategy that all takes place in the psychic space because the Eternals are attacking Krakoa with the with their Unimine. And Emma, Hope, and Exodus are all like, all right, let's let's engage in this like plot. But like when you look at it, it's one of the file pages where it's like very much a an infograph. And the way that it's done and detailed with some captions and and word balloons is just so, or thought balloons is so just clever. And it leaves a lot up to the imagination because it is like, you can't really see it. It's a psychic attack, but it it's such a badass way to represent it. And you get just Exodus being so awesome and so like ready to take on anything to keep mutant kind safe, to keep hope safe. Uh, they see this giant threat come over Krakoa and hope is like, Oh boy. And he's like, you know, she's like, I, we're not ready for them. And he says, we are retire to safety and return the fallen warriors to the field. Be an inspiration, guard the flame of mutant life, be yourself. It is more than sufficient. And she's like, Oh, okay, fine. And you, and he's like, they're dragons. Hope. What do you think I'm going to do? And he's a knight. 
who battles dragons. It's so awesome. And so awesome. Mikale's art in here is beautiful. It has got this kind of manga inspired vibe to it. Um, it kind of a vibe almost of some Udon comics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you know Udon comics and they're, they're sort of like house style, it's really cool, very energetic, very fun, um, but also carries all the gravity and weight of the action, the intensity, the stories that include Apocalypse and Magneto and history and religious fervor and, and the, you know, attempted genocide of mutant kind. It rules. It friggin' rules. All right. Next up, we have Edge of Spider-Verse number one, which has a massive lineup of creatives attached to it. There are a total of four stories in this book. Uh, the first one, Spider-Laird, which is only a three-page story that is written by Dan Slott with uh, art by Martin Cocolo. There's an Araña story in here by a friend of the show, Alex Segura, uh, who we'll be talking to later today with art by Kayo Mojado. Then we have Spider-Rex, uh, which is written by the amazing and also friends, friend of the show, Carla Pacheco, uh, with art by Perry Perez, and Spider-Noir in Madame My Destiny by Dustin Weaver and DJ Bryant. And all of it's lettered by VC's Joe Caramayah. This is just packed to the rim with different Spidey stories. The first one we get, we get a new Scottish, almost like a, not a knight, but he's a Baird. And he is fighting a, the fanciful Dan in his pocket of the universe before we get a surprise at the end of that issue. Think of it like um, Braveheart Spider-Man. Yes. Essentially, you know, like yes. fighting colonial oppressor type characters, being a badass. It's not the same time frame. It's much later than Braveheart, but yes, uh, or, or more recent than Braveheart, but still. And the second story stars Aranya, and it's actually a really great place for anybody who's looking to get into this character to kind of just get started. It's a great entry point. Um, not only do we get some of her backstory, um, we start to see how it connects to her current position. I mean, she has a new costume since we you know, first got introduced to her. We start to see how Alex Segura is kind of bringing in some of her past history um, and bringing it back to this character and making it a much bigger point. And we get a new costume design, which is really cool to see some of that inspiration from her original costume brought back. But we start to see a little bit of like, the connective tissue of what the larger story with the Spider-Verse is here. And it involves Madam Web, who comes back to talk to uh, Anya about what's going on with her powers. And we get to see how some of the other characters in Spider-Man's life are represented in this era, as well as the major threat that was introduced at the beginning of this book. And let me just tell you that I was not ready for that last page flip. It was very like... Whoa, what is happening? Man. One of the cool things about this is that you've got the classic superhero Spidey origin in the first story. You've got the classic like superhero, you know, recontextualizing who they are story. And the second one, you've got a like an over the top kind of comedy, but superhero story in the third one. And then you've got the like deep horror of the fourth one. There's a wide variety of stories in here. It is beautiful throughout. It is incredible storytellers. I love it. I love it. I love it. I can't wait for the next issue. All right. Our third pick of the week is X-Men Red number five. Maybe one of my favorite issues of the year. I mean, just an absolute banger. And this one, I was uh, like three or four pages into it. I was like, I don't want to read this. I I literally like said (laughs) that to myself because this issue is set in the one hour where the Eternal Uranus attacks 
the planet Arako. And if you read Acts Judgment Day number one, you know that Uranos is like the grandfather to the Eternals. He is more terrifying, dangerous, and capable than Thanos. Ruthless. Ruth, like he makes Thanos look kind of like chill, like a chill pal. Like Thanos is having, like he likes to play with this food, right? Uranos is just like, no, I'm here for one thing and one thing only. Yeah. And the the thing about it is we could, you know, you can make a character like that and you can, you could talk about them being this way or that way. And, and, but this is the show don't tell issue of like, oh, we set Uranus up as this force. And here we're showing you that that force is true. He gets one hour to take down the like, you know, very old race of mutants who have gone through like centuries of war. Mm -hmm. And it is horrifying it this issue is brought to us by writer al ewing art by stefano caselli colors by federico Bli, letters by vcs ariana mayer and as i said knowing what was coming because we saw sort of him descend upon Araco in mm-hmm. judgment day and then the aftermath we didn't see what happens in this issue so this issue is just upsetting this is like a big destruction issue it's a huge destruction issue and the thing that i think Al does well is that there's a clock that is ticking throughout yeah. every single panel in this book. And it is there just to remind you that this only takes place in an hour. And I think there's a there's a line in the middle of the book where like not even, I think it's a, it's like closer to the beginning where like Uranus just goes like I've only taken up 14 minutes. I still have like 45 minutes to go. And you're just like holy crap. Like yeah. this man or this villain is just unstoppable and uh, scary the mutants are looked at as as excessive deviation so he is there to correct it as he says and it's wild the characters in this issue include nightcrawler magneto a bunch of iraqi mutants abigail brand cable it's like you're watching the the last stand of all your favorite characters this is the red wedding of axe judgment day there are so many amazing moments mm-hmm. and pieces of heroism and pieces of sadness. Um, and betrayal. Oh, the betrayal. The betrayal. Uh, I know we have fans out there who are big Nova fans, just mm-hmm. like us. And there's this one part here that I loved. Above Port Prometheus, the man called Nova fights to protect civilians from a dozen worlds as they evacuate. It's all up to me, he thinks. He thinks that too often. Alone, he holds the line. And I was just like, you in one panel, Mm -hmm. Al Ewing and and Stefano and Federico and company, you have been like, you have shown anyone who is not already a Nova fan, like, oh, Nova rules. I want to read everything about Rich Rider. Mm -hmm. It's so dope. There's amazing Magneto stuff in here. There's this rad part with Cable in here where he- Oh, dude, I just got chills. I'm getting chills. I know. Just going through this this book again. This weapon, um, it's the oh. most powerful gun in Cable's arsenal. I will say nothing more on how that plays out, the sort of back and forth. Uranus is not just like himself going through and destroying everything, which he is, but he also is utilizing like weaponry and his, his own technology and just like these instruments of destruction. It is horrifying. And I posted this on Twitter last week, immediately after I read it, because I got to the I got to a point in the issue. And I did a, a page turn to a giant splash, which made me drop my tablet that I have the comic on. And I thrust my hands high in the air. Literally, it went, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was it was so 
Like I, I'm so angry. I don't have the next issue immediately in front. Oh, I know. <sighs> All right, those are our picks of the week. Now to go on to our fabulous fresh new floppies. But before we do that, we have to talk about the award name that we'll be giving out this week. Last week's award name was the I Was a Beach Like a Month Ago Award, um, which was found in Amazing Spider-Man number six. And the first person to respond was, your favorite coaster sucks on Twitter, which I'm curious what kind of coaster he's referring to, because I have some pretty good coasters that I keep my cold drinks on. We also got a great email from Brad Ekman, who um, Brad was almost first, pretty close. Brad says, hey, all longtime listener, first time emailer. I found the quote in this week's Amazing Spider-Man number 900. Excited to find it. And it was the first book in my stack I had to read. Gotta say, I miss Tucker, but Jasmine has been an amazing replacement. And I love hearing from you both on my way to my local comic shop, Main Street Comics in Milltown, New Jersey. They're the longest running comic shop in Jersey, so shout out to them. I also have a daughter who just turned three who loves whipping around the house, so hearing about Ryan's journey with his daughter and bringing her into the Marvel Universe is great. Thanks for all the good vibes and getting me hyped about the books each week. Cheers. P.S. Mostly to Jasmine. Bring back Marvel Method. Love that show. If not, let's get him on for a reading club. Oh, I would love to. Ryan, have I showed you this, though? I've decided to make a United States of Polist map nice. where I've been filling in where people have who listen to us write into us and tell us like, oh, yeah, this is where my comic shop is. And I've gotten a couple of states filled in. I just filled in New Jersey, but I also have Connecticut, New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Wisconsin, Illinois, Florida, Arkansas, Texas, Colorado and California. So we still need, we have plenty. There's a lot of white space here still that we need to fill yeah. in. This Let's is a fill fun up game. The rest. It is a very fun game. I'll post it on uh, Twitter later for everybody great. else to see. We got a whole bunch of great more community this week. Uh, we had an email from Logan Phillips, who is new to the show. So welcome aboard, Logan, for listening. Woo. Thank you. Um, but I like that Logan um, was confused by the quote when uh-huh. hearing it on the show, but then found it in the book and laughed about it, which I think is kind of like the perfect way to go about it for us. We try. We try. Yeah. Yeah, um, we had a bunch of great tweets in here from at Super75, at Chuck underscore Foo, who I believe, um, I don't know that we've heard from either of y'all before, so thank you for uh, writing in. That's always super fun. And Chuck, um, uh, I am feeling a little bit better, so thank you for that. And um, Super75 actually said uh, that I have to say, I think Torun Grunbeck might be the coolest person to ever write Thor. Also, I feel compelled to travel to Norway to experience the weather and see trolls. Did you see all the pictures that I know. Torun like, posted underneath it? Yeah. Torun, I know you listen. Someday I'm going to take my family. Can we come please stay with you? We should record from her awesome looking studio. Yes. Uh, And then, of course, some of our our wonderful regulars, uh, Karis Pollard, Meg Stocker, Lex Pendragon. Thank you all for for finding and playing along. And then I had to read. We got to read this email, Jasmine. This Mm -hmm. email from another one of our regulars, Mitch Krumputich, uh, who says, here's the quote. For this week from Amazing Spider-Man, I'm a bit late this week because I've been busy with my daughter who was born last Friday. She and her mom are doing well. And he says, Mitch says, Ryan, I always appreciate hearing your experiences, raising Catherine. The bond you two have sounds so special. This is my first child and I have found a lot of inspiration in your experience as a father. Thanks for everything. 
Mitch, congratulations. Ugh, and thank you for sharing this adorable picture know, of your baby oh daughter. Oh my gosh, so Ugh. great. Uh, I remember those early days when we brought Catherine home. She was two weeks old when she came home. And because uh, I, I don't know if anybody knows, my daughter was adopted, um, but she was two weeks old when she came home. And so she's still super teeny tiny. And Mitch, I'm going to tell you this now. I'm sure you'll hear this from everybody. You ain't going to sleep. Get into some video games because uh, I know for me reading too much, I will fall asleep. So I had to like with with Catherine on me at like four in the morning playing random video games was how I got through those early times. So this being your first kid, holler if you need any advice from another idiot first time dad. We make it through it. These children, they're pretty hardy beings. It's wild. You know, I, I'm proud of both of you. This is yes. awesome. I feel like we're starting like a little group. It's going to be like the Papas of Pull List. Oh, I like that. Or Pull List Papas. Pull List Papas. There you go. All that mushiness out of the way. Let's get into this week's award. All right. This week's award is plain and simple. It's the Give Me Metal Award. It's pretty good, though. It's so Especially good. in the context of when you'll see it in your books. So Can't if wait. you find the line, Give Me Metal screen cap it screen cap that page tweet it to at agent m and at jasmiest with hashtag marvel's pull list or email us at pull list at marvel.com if you're among the first uh keep your dms open keep your emails handy and ready because uh, i'll hit you back up with something fun all right the fabulous fresh floppies are yeah. uh hot and heavy this week i am going to start us off with demon wars the iron samurai number one which I'll be honest, was our third mm -hmm. pick of the week, but got bumped for Exodus and Immortal X-Men number five. That book just came to us, but this book is still so good. If we had a fourth pick, this would be it. It is gorgeous. It is um, the second of the uh, the Demon Wars stories that artist and writer, storyteller Peach Momoko is doing. It is wild. I, I want to give my Give Me Metal award to all the yokai that peach draws and depicts throughout this story they're so cool so weird and obviously a lot of them are taken from you know japanese folklore and, and mythology and stuff like that um but there are riffs on some of them with marvel tinges it's just such a beautiful fully well-realized world and universe and i love it Next up, we have Ghostwriter number five. And before we jumped on, uh, we were talking about this book a little bit. And what ends up happening in the book is that there is a race. It takes place in a place called Hell's Backbone, which is out west in the mountains. And it's the Hell's Backbone rally where there's a race among all these different writers, um, whether they be villains or heroes, like some of them are very recognizable. There's so many cool moments in this book, um, but I want to give my Give Me Medal Award to... Wolverine, because the the setup that happens at the end of this issue got me really pumped for the next issue. There's nothing more that I want to see from a Ben Percy Ghostwriter book than like a Wolverine team up. Yeah. Up next is Iron Man number 22, and you've got Rhodey and Tony side by side in their armor getting stuff done. I'm going to give my Give Me Metal Award to the fight that the two of them have with a classic Iron Man villain. I won't spoil who it is, but it's just, it's a rad fight. It's sort of like key to the plot and, and how everything is going down in the storyline. But uh, it's just, it's just fun to watch Tony and Rhodey together. Yeah. Also, I recommend listening and reading to the Death of Captain Marvel reading club that we did a couple weeks ago um, to kind of 
set things up in this issue. Um, it's crazy how far apart they are, but there's a little bit of backstory there. So if you're interested in learning more about that, definitely check that out as well. All right, next up we have Legion of X number four. There's a lot that happens in this book, but <laughs> the one thing I'm going to give the award to is Nightcrawler. Yes. Because I'm trying to pick my words very carefully, but he's become Krakoa's himbo. The spark is happening. Nightcrawler loves to bamf. That's all we're saying. He loves to bamf. Um, but there's one line in here that made me laugh out loud, and it was it involved all the many things that Nightcrawler can do with his tail. That's all it's, I'll say. And it's all in the books. We're not saying anything that they don't nope. bring up in the title. Um, all right, on to Mech Strike Monster Hunters number two. Uh, there is, there's like, I know some of our listeners are big into this big action, big, you know, mech suit monsters, uh, storyline here. And it's a lot of fun. This issue is, I think my favorite of these two series so far. And I want to give my, give me metal award to the three characters who get their own suits in this issue and their reactions to it. Hell yeah. It's super duper fun. I had a blast with them. Agreed. Yeah. Next up, we have Moon Knight issue number 14. And a lot of people who are big Moon Knight fans um, have been waiting for a certain aspect of this character to be introduced in the series because it hasn't been yet, quite yet, or hasn't been explored at, at least. And this issue delivers. And I, I'm going to give my Give Me Metal Award to the duo, Jed McKay and Alessandro Capuccio, because it's a conversation. And in this issue, it's a conversation from beginning to end. You're listening to that conversation, but what you're seeing is all this action that's happening at the street level. And it's telling two stories at once. There's just a lot to it. And you can reread this and pick up new things. It's a great standalone issue. Like, I can't wait to flip through the pages. All right. We've got new Fantastic Four number three up next. I was going to give my award to colorist Mike Spicer because the coloring in here is so gorgeous. It's got this cool texture to it all. Um, I absolutely love it. But I have to have to give my give me metal award to Dr. Strange. He gets in here. He gets involved in a situation with two members of the Fantastic Four, which made both of us laugh out loud. It's terrific. Next up, we have Savage Avengers number four. And uh, previously it was established. Uh, a certain villain was established um, and it has the story has been kind of going through um, with this one villain in mind. and. What I liked about this issue is it introduced another bigger villain. Like, I mean, they're probably just as big as um, the previous villain. You've been following Fulsa Doom trying to essentially resurrect Set. And the thing that happens in this issue makes you realize that it's not just Set that we need to worry about. There's another character who is known for Annihilation that I was very excited to see um, pop up here. So I am giving my Give Me Metal Award to that villain. All right, we've got Spider-Man 2099 Exodus number five this week. We It's a big 2099 crossover between Spidey and the X-Men. And so I'm going to give my Give Me Metal Award to Cyclops in this uh, in this issue. This Cyclops, from the power set to sort of like the, the feeling of like hold, 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 hold. All right, now it was, it was a good buildup and gnarly as heck. Next up is Spider-Punk number four. And right off the bat, I have to point out the awesome variant cover by Torrent Clark from the show. It is just dynamite. Like it, it is just the essence of who Hobie Brown is. But 
as we've been building up through these issues, the the band, the spider band, we also finally get introduced to the, I guess, like antithesis of this band, you know, for, for the final battle of the band. And we meet a collective of villains that is so cool and so reminiscent of the Dark Avengers um, from the main timeline, the 616 timeline. And it is perfect. Like the way that these characters are described, like we've already met Taskmaster, um, but the other three characters, the leader... Norman Osborn, there's Officer Venom in here, and then there's War Sentry, which is just wild to me. It is the sentry in a war machine armor. And what they each represent and how these heroes are combating that is where I'm going to give my Give Me Metal Award, because the setup for this was great. And like the, the crazy thing is you can introduce to that team, that team of villain, not even halfway through the book. So it's like the minute you get that, the rest of it is all just like battle. And I love that. Yeah. All right. We've got Star Wars, the Halcyon Legacy number five this week. I'm going to hand out my give me medal award to the pair of bounty hunters that show up in this Bosk and for LOM. I just love their designs. Love when they show up. Bosk in particular has a great like reveal moment in this issue. Yeah. There's also an amazing last page reveal here that, revolves around one of my favorite rebels so i was very pumped to see her all right last up we have x-men 92 house of 92 number three and this could have easily been one of our picks as well like there's just so many moments in this book i'm gonna give the give my medal award to the final page reveal which brought some it brought like so many memories back in my head from everything from the animated x-men series to some of the older x-men comics where i was like oh we're going there great let's do it i am so pumped it's a hell of a fun series. It's so much fun. Yeah. All right. Those are the new issues out this week. We also have collections on sale this week. A lot of stuff, a lot of, a lot of omnibuses uh, coming back into print or just being released. Um, some epic collections. I know everybody checks those out and really digs those in particular. There's an Avengers epic collection, Kang War, which... Mm feels like folks are probably going to want to check out and generation x epic collection and plates revenge which i think is the second volume it is of generation x stuff so if you um were keen on what we talked about with generation x a couple episodes ago go pick that one up yeah and then there's also strange academy uh wishcraft which is the final arc of that run as well yeah over on marvel unlimited we have new infinity comics hitting the service including x-men unlimited number 46 uh, which is the third installation of the X-Men Green story. Um, there's Spider-Verse Unlimited by Penny Parker, number nine. Uh, Marvel's Voices, Young Avengers, number 10. Love Unlimited, Viv Vision, number nine. Who is She-Hulk, number one, which is a one-shot that can, you know, help you get familiar with a certain green giant. And Marvel Meow, number 12, which is the finale of that short series. Yeah, over on Marvel Unlimited as well, a bunch of issues released this week that came out three months ago. A couple in particular to point out, Silk number four, um, Knights of X number one, great time to start in on that, and Amazing Spider-Man number one, because, you know, now you can start reading Amazing Spidey. Yeah. Also, Ms. Marvel Beyond the Limit, which is the last issue of that short run. Yeah. Check all those out on Marvel Unlimited, where you can also read the books we are talking about in our reading club. Jasmine, who are we talking to and what are we talking about? We are talking to Alex Segura about Amazing Spider-Man Coming Home, which is the first arc of J.M. Straczynski's run on Amazing Spider-Man. We were all big fans of it, and it's a great starting point for anyone looking to get into Amazing Spider-Man. So, 
you know, as we start celebrating the 60th anniversary for the Amazing Spider-Man, we figured this would be a fun place to start. Amazing Spider-Man Coming Home is issues 30 through 35 of that series, FYI. Before we get into this reading club, one thing, we just wanted to put a little warning ahead of things uh, because one of the issues that we are talking about uh, from this incredible run from 20 years ago involves a school shooter, Spider-Man encountering a school shooter. And so uh, for anybody who needs to know about that ahead of time, we wanted to make sure you are aware. All right, Jasmine, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm a little uh, I'm a little nervous about this conversation we're going to have today. Why is that? Um, because uh, this guy, this guy we have on the show, he's he's someone I'm not I'm not familiar with, and mm-hmm. he's got a reputation. And That's I what just, heard. Uh, yeah, I don't know how. You know what? Let's just get into it and talk to uh, Alex Segra. Se- Alex yeah, Segra. Hi. Yeah. How <laughs> are you? I'm good. Nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you too. All right. Yeah, this is this isn't going anywhere. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. You can't. You're a bad liar. Alex Segura is one of my closest friends, has been for, gosh, like 20 years. Um, he's yes. a writer of many things, including novels and comic books. Uh, he's currently working on a whole variety of things, including some stuff for us. He has a story in Edge of Spider-Verse. He's done a couple different things here and there. You can find his stuff on Infinity Comics for Marvel Unlimited, and hopefully lots more, because he's great, and I love him, and I'm so glad he's here with us. Thanks for having me. This is so cool. It's just like a free pass to hang out with y'all. Before we dive into Spider-Man and your pick for this mm-hmm. week's reading club, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into comics? Did you have a comic shop growing up? or I did. I mean, my first com- my first comic uh, was like an Archie Digest. My first superhero comic was a Spider-Man Digest. It was a reprint of Spectacular Spider-Man magazine number two. And that's different from the Spectacular Spider-Man, but it was um, this black and white prestige series that Stan and, and Ramita, John Romita did in the seventies. And it was a really terrifying green goblin story. And I was probably too young to be reading that, but it like burned into my brain, especially that opening sequence where for some reason, like George Stacy is showing a video of the green goblin to Norman Osborn. And you see Norman Osborn like drenched in sweat. He's like, I'm the green goblin. <laughs> it was uh, pretty <laughs> intense. And then after that, I was, um, I was always hounding like my local pharmacy, like the newsstand at the Eckerd drugs and, and places like that. And I had, a um, a comic shop across the street from my grandparents' house called Frank's Comics and Cards, which was uh, a block away. And so, you know, whenever I had a couple bucks to rub together, I'd, I'd walk over there and buy some comics. And, and Spider-Man was like my big obsession. Spider-Man, the X-Men, and, and Batman and stuff like that. Let's start diving into this this particular run. Do you, is there a reason, like particular reason why you picked this one out of all the other spider ones? There was when I was rereading it. It's something that he something he did in one word balloon that he recalibrated how you look at everything that's happened to Spider-Man. Like in one sentence, you know, when Ezekiel is talking to Spider-Man and he says, you know, was he radioactive before he bit you or did he become radioactive after he bit you? Like basically, I'm, I'm garbling it, but there's a moment where he puts everything into question. Mm-hmm. And the way it just impressed me so much as a writer reading another writer's work and just being like, how can you do that? You can like flip the script and basically kind mm-hmm. of cleanse the character of all the baggage. Not negative. It's just like characters that are around this song are going to accrue baggage and accrue like conflicting plot things. But he brought the character back to zero in a cool way, brought him back to his roots, like his high school, 
and kind of cut through all the confusion and really made him super compelling again. Um, and I, and, and in one word balloon, like I was just like blown away that he could do that. And, um, and it's such a classic Spidey story, especially that first arc, like despite all, he overcomes all the odds and still manages to win, but it's not a clean victory. You know, he suffers some, some losses and he gets really messed up. And, you know, I think that somehow the stories had shied away from that a little bit and Spidey just tended to win more often. Like there were never moments when he got really crushingly defeated. And this was a story where for a second there, even as someone who'd read it before, I was like, is he going to lose? Like, is this, you know, it's the same exact thought reading it today. Same. Yeah. Same thing. Same. All right. Let's get into it. We're talking about Spider-Man coming home is the name of the, the trade paperback. Um, if you are picking up the physical copy, um, but if you're on Marvel Unlimited, that's Amazing Spider-Man's Volume 2 in the 1999 uh, run, issues number 30 through 35. It's written by J. Michael Straczynski, as we've been talking about, um, with pencils by John Romita Jr., colors by Dan Kemp and Avalon Studios, inks by Scott Hanna, letters by Richard Starkings and Wes Abbott, with help from Saida Temafonte, and it was edited by Axel Alonso. And I want to make a, a special point also covers by yes. J. Scott Campbell, Yes, which um, those covers pop so much and they're so exciting. Yeah. This is how you sell the book to most people. It has to pop on the comic book stands. And what do you, what do you do to make it look exciting? You have a great cover and these really, these sing. He's freaking yeah. They're that one, even the one like where he's in class, like teaching the kids in the big Spider-Man, yeah. and, like spotlight is behind him. Just feels so, they just seem so classic, but modern yeah. too. I mean, they're like billboards, like movie, mm-hmm. like film posters. Let's get into issue 30 because we've already been talking about it. But this is also the first appearance of the Inheritors and Ezekiel as well as Morlin. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think he's named in the first issue, but it is his first appearance. As someone who jumped on during Dan Slott's run, like I didn't know who these characters were until like much later. Going back and realizing like how far back, you know, these seeds were planted and by a different writer as well, like is just so fascinating to me getting this legacy, getting this like backstory on like the totems and kind of like the building blocks that start the whole um, myth, I guess, was really, really interesting. And this is also where we get that question by Ezekiel, which really just flips the whole book on its head. We should explain who Ezekiel is. Ezekiel is cool. He's this like... 57 year old dude which now as i'm you know in my 40s i'm like oh he's not that old and i like it he doesn't feel old yeah you know what i mean when we first started though we were like who's this old guy yeah oh this old (laughs) fart what is he up to um but he's he's an older dude and he surprises spidey doesn't set off his spider sense he moves around like spider-man and it opens up so many questions Well, not only that, but like at one point, Peter even says like he kind of looks like my Uncle Ben. Yeah. like He he says he reminds me like Uncle Ben. And when I read that, I was just like, again, like this was brand new and fresh to my like eyes. I would immediately start questioning like, okay, is this like, is it Ben like from a different universe? Like what's going on? And that's the cool thing about the issue. It's it asks so many questions. It doesn't necessarily answer them, but it gets you so interested that you want to just keep going. Um, And the idea that. I was always intrigued as a fan about bad guys that didn't set off his spider sense or characters that mm-hmm, didn't set off his spider mm-hmm. sense. Like the, the symbiotes obviously don't carnage and, and venom. And it just felt like you weren't really even sure that this guy was a hero yet. And you're not really sure until a little bit later in the arc, not setting up a spider sense and knowing Peter's identity. Yeah. is yes. such a, like, it's one of those, like, what do they call rack focus moments in a movie where you, you feel like, Whoa, what's going on? Dun, dun. Yeah. yeah. Like something's going yeah. on. Yeah. 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 
and like we'll get into it as we continue on going on but there are a lot of things here that were planted um that'll be continued in spider-verse and like one of them that i thought was really fascinating was the the room that like he builds for peter to protect him from Morlin and it's the same type of like room that he put silk in i guess way back in the past uh the but it's not revealed until the future yeah <laughs> yeah which i thought was really cool to see yeah and that makes for a great moment for peter when he just turns it away and he's like later in the in the story he's got to fight the fight anyway and that felt like such right. a pure spider-man moment absolutely as we are probably going to do a whole bunch here i want to give big love to johnny jr just because yeah. seeing the way he draws Spider-Man move, it it's just so it it's right. It feel you look at it and it feels right. There's a, a great montage page. It's a big splash of Spidey like just letting loose his frustrations in this condemned building and he's just bashing it and just the way he's moving with his legs splayed out and over here and moving this way. And Johnny Jr. makes Spider-Man look both like wiry and skinny, but extremely powerful at the same time. It's a balance that is, I think Bagley does it very well. Yeah. Um, Cam- uh, Giuseppe Camicoli does it very well. There are artists who like can really create that sense of power and strength in someone who doesn't have that normal build that you think of in a Marvel superhero as being so super strong. It's done so well. Yeah. And you can just, sometimes I would, you know, I'd read, obviously read the comic story and art, but sometimes you could just sit and look at the art and flip through and you still understand. And it's such a testament to his abilities as a storyteller. You understand what's going on without even reading the captions or the story, like at least the broad strokes. And um, he's just like such a definitive Spidey artist for me. Like so many, so many great contributions to the character. Yeah. And this might be like obvious, but like the, the thing that I really like and find really interesting about John Romita Jr.'s Spidey is that like, he won like makes him look like a spider yeah one of the the other things that in my reread of this that i stopped and stared at is the four panel page of the the demolition of (laughs) the building and it is it is a testament to the the comedic abilities of both jms and johnny jr here because spider-man has just been trashing this building getting his frustrations out and then so we cut to like afterwards um spidey is crawling out of the building there's the foreman of a of a demolition company saying you know all right get that crane over here we got six hours to tear this place to and then the next panel is it's starting to fall down the next panel is mostly smoke and and then the last panel is the the foreman turning around he said okay lunch and i cracked up i kept staring at that page that page was also one of those pages that made me like i like when a comic book can make me flip backwards and relook at what like i had already read um, and like, almost look, look at it differently. And it makes you flip back two, three pages to realize that, yeah, he did walk into a demolition like thing. Like you see it there, but like, you know, when you're first reading it, you're not necessarily paying attention to those types of things. You're kind of following your, your eyes are drawn to the character. But when you see all that happen, you're just like, wait, what? Like, that's awesome. And it just the joke just gets better and better every time. Yeah. And it also it reminded me so much of like classic Stan dialogue, like especially with Spider-Man. Like when you read those big fight scenes, he always drops dialogue with the bystanders and they're always making these funny comments or jokes. And it, it just made me think, well, you know, JMS really like drilled down and tried to evoke that era in a modern way. Um, and it plays off in like little gags and he does it a few more times during this arc where you can, the background characters say funny things or it, it just feels very New York and you can kind of feel his love for New York in there too. One of the things that also got me about this story is 
because I've read Spider-Verse a whole bunch of times, especially I'm doing a couple projects that touch on Spider-Verse now in, in other work that I do. And the inheritors are like terrifying and scary and mean and brutal and totally vicious in a like sadistic, pure villain way here. Moreland is not yet here. Moreland is he's obviously scary. He is this energy vampire dude. You get you, you get a little bit of a sense of what his story is from the beginning, but not a lot. But his dialogue is like cool kind of nice at times he's like he doesn't speak at first for like the first couple of pages that he's introduced against spider-man which i thought was really interesting yeah um he's like he doesn't necessarily love doing what he has to do but like this is how he he's he's a hunter he needs to eat he's hunting his food i enjoyed the way morlin is introduced and the character that is built around him because he's not just like a mustache twirling villain he is somebody who I don't know if I want to say I like him because he's not likable, but I, I enjoyed the the pages where we just get character stuff with him, where he's going around the city, going to a tailor, eating lunch with his like, you know, his Renfield, all this yeah, stuff. Exactly. I really enjoyed those. Yeah, the contrast was really like you said, he wasn't like a, a typical supervillain in a costume with like you know you know spouting out insults like he was like a force of nature coming towards spider-man and like as we read the issues he didn't even look he wasn't dressed like a squirrel he just looked like this is this was his clothes and he's just so powerful he doesn't need to like make jokes or insult spider-man because he knows he's gonna win and that's what i think made me almost like forget that the story ends in a positive way and obviously like hundreds of other spider-man issues come out i was like wow is he gonna like is this the end like you know, I don't want to get too far ahead, but there are moments even then when Spider-Man like starts to doubt, like, is this the end yeah. too? Like, and it's, and it was done in such a great way that you almost start to believe it too. Yeah. And like, he gets ripped to shreds. Like we can start moving on to the next issue 31 yeah. when like they first face off and it's, it's terrifying. Like, like you say, like there are moments when you're just like, is it, is it going to survive this? Like, it just seems like he's just getting bashed and bashed. And I think he meets him at least two more times before the end. And like each moment is just like, it gets worse and worse. And you're like, Oh, this guy's, unstoppable yeah i mean johnny draws a beat up spider-man so well like you just wonder like how is he surviving like how is he even moving um and one other thing that jms you know set up you know that plays out later on is the whole high school pete at the high Mm -hmm. school which i thought was a great twist because that was such a big element of the character when he started and obviously then to college but the idea of bringing him back to the beginning was done so thoughtfully and so smartly that it, it felt natural and almost like, why didn't anyone think of that before? It just felt like such a great evolution for him. Yeah. It also sets up one of like the craziest moments in I think Amazing Spider-Man for me. This story right here though, in issue number 31, like my jaw dropped when I got to the page and like you start to realize that it's a school shooting story. And that's the thing that ultimately convinces Peter to like return to the school and like, because like the other teacher quits. Right. Um, and he, he ultimately decides to, to join full time, but I was speechless at the end of that story. Like I needed a break after that because it, it again, this story came out in 2001 yeah. and like it's, it's two years so after relevant. the Columbine shooting. It's fascinating how he handles the situation. Like it, it, when it first starts to happen, the first thing he starts to like think if you get his, you don't get speech bubbles, but you get the, the, the little thought, like narration he's like i'm not i don't i don't care about my secret identity like there's a there's a moment for that or there's a time for my secret identity and there's a time 
where it doesn't matter. Yeah. And this is one of those times where it doesn't matter. And he like immediately jumps into action without, you know, throwing on his suit or anything. But the minute he gets everybody in a, in a safe room, like he turns to the kid that he saw earlier getting bullied and he's like, I need your help. And just reading that was just like, whoa, like, yeah, this is crazy. Like, I don't know if I would you know want to endanger a student that way, but he he does help and he helps in a way that doesn't really put him in danger, which I thought was really clever. Yeah. Having Peter kind of see his younger self and like engage his aversion or someone he could have seen himself becoming was really like emotionally huge, I thought. I this issue gives us our first real taste of of JMS's Aunt May. And mm-hmm. there's a scene with May and Peter eating breakfast and Peter's like thinking about things and off and just Aunt May has got just the JMS gives her the perfect mom voice so feeling everything and I just she's not like a you know dithery old Aunt May, like, oh, my heart. It, yeah. She's just like this awesome lady who's taking care of this kid and s- sacrificed everything because she's a parent. And that's what you do. And yeah. she just loves him so much and knows him so well. Yeah. And it's she's also funny. And yeah. it's oh, there you went again. again. Like you disappeared again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, the like the bug to the, their whole conversation is her. And, and again, it's John Romita Jr. It's the little things. Yes. He has her holding, um, she's cleaning up the, the dishes. And just the way he draws her chin up a little bit and she's like talking to herself is such a natural, realistic thing, but done so well. She's like, I love watching the gears begin to turn. as She like <laughs> walks away. I was like, that right there is such a simple panel. And it, mm-hmm. you, you skate by it so quickly if you're reading it. But it does so much and it tells you so much in simple body language and the way it's done. It's this is a pretty good comic. It's pretty, yeah, pretty comic, good. you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think writing writing a powerful Aunt May is, is is too rare sometimes. You know, I think Dematis did it like when he was writing Amazing and and mm-hmm. when her I guess the not Aunt May, but sort of Aunt May dies. Like that was a huge moment and really well done. And and JMS gets it too. He writes her as this like Ryan was saying, she's just been through a lot. And I think she's, she literally says it later on the arc. You know, I've been, you know, I survived Ben's death. I survived this. I survived that. Like I'm a survivor. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she can, she's frail literally, but I don't think she lets that overcome what she needs to do, which is impressive. Like I think writers treating her as this really powerful character goes further. The third issue, um, issue number 32 um opens with this great car chase bit it's like a classic spider-man versus a street thug bad guy uh i laughed out loud when spidey gets in he pulls the guy out of the van jumps in and the woman who's been like taken hostage she's like screaming and crying and he's yeah spidey just lounges back can i drop you somewhere and she (laughs) screams at him uh it's really funny and then we get him stringing the bad guy up, uh, like tying him up and then writing loser in the web. Yeah. But that's also the title page of the issue. And the title of this issue is the long, dark pizza of the soul. Yes. So good. <laughs> so great. good. But I, so you, maybe I'm remembering this wrong and Ryan, you can correct me, but I feel like when people knew JMS was coming onto the book, like one of the main concerns was like, Oh, he's not funny. Like he doesn't do funny. Hmm. And, I feel like out of the gate, he proves that wrong. Like he gets Spider-Man's humor. Um, Alex, you're a huge Star Trek fan. There are a few people that I know that love Star Trek more than you. 
did you were you also a fan of Babylon Five? I watched a little bit of it. I think it was mm. interesting because I, I read JMS's biography, autobiography, not long ago, and I guess Babylon Five came out right around the same time as Deep Space Nine, and they are thematically similar in that they're on space stations, and it's 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 not your traditional. They have a number like, in the title, and... right? Yeah, it's sci-fi, but. Um, I bring up Babylon 5 for our listeners. If you don't know, um, Babylon 5 was the television show that J. Michael Straczynski created. I was just reading that he wrote 92 out of 110 episodes. Yeah, wow. he wrote that series. The series yeah. that, it's also wow. name dropped in this in this series, in this yes, book yeah. that we're talking it about. It is, yeah. That's, that was uh, cool. Yeah, I, like the third, fourth, or fifth part of this, he, he gets a reference uh, in there, which I was like, good for you. Why not? Yeah. It's Speaking fun. of, Alex, you, you, didn't you just drop a book? I did, yeah. Uh, my new book, Secret Identity, came out in March, and it's a murder mystery set in comics. And it's funny because I drop references to my own other comics in there, like because you know it's about a fictional, it's about this uh, queer Cuban woman who moves to New York to kind of pursue her dream of writing comics in the seventies, and she doesn't get the chance to. Her boss doesn't really give her the opportunity, so she anonymously co-creates this character, The Links, which is right there. <laughs> No, which listeners can't see me pointing to that poster, but um, <laughs> she does it anonymously, and then her collaborator is murdered. So she has to kind of figure out who murdered her friend and kind of, and reclaim this idea. But um, I had to come up with a lot of fake comic titles, so I was like, let me just use characters I've created and throw them in there, just for ease of writing. And it just and it and, it, and inadvertently it kind of created like this expanded like Segurverse that <laughs> now exists. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, and you don't really need clearances for those. You just yeah, they're mine. You're, so. you're the one. You're the one signing off. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's great. The end of this third part is now Moreland's like, I'm ready, and then yeah. we get the the one push, one punch, one attack at the end of um, thirty thirty two that leads us into thirty three, where the the battle really starts. And in my mind, before I reread it, I was like, okay, so Spider-Man and Moreland fight for five straight issues. That was the, the yes, picture yeah. that I had of what the story was. And in reality, it's three issues of building and build, and wonderful, excellent building and heightening of tensions. And it, it's fantastic comics to get yeah. to this, you know, one and a half, two issues of that. Or, or, you know, it's like... It, it's not as much and it doesn't need to be as much because what it is is so incredibly powerful. One of the thought captions in the first page of 33 is just been hit harder than anybody's ever hit me before. Check. And so right there, that is a, a super important thing because all you've gotten is one hit and you see Moreland and Spidey right away and you know that this guy means business and like that build pays off when you get that. It's... Yeah. And it made me think about like what my favorite kind of Spidey stories are. And it's these kind of stories where Spidey has no reasonable chance of winning. Like logically, he should not be in contention here. And whether it's like Roger Stern and, and Ramita Jr. doing the juggernaut or. I was just thinking about that. There's an issue of Amazing Amazing 350 where uh, Michelini and Larson do Spidey against Dr. Doom. And you know, going in, there's no way he should not be competitive with Dr. Doom. And But he still finds a way out of it. But it's all about working the corners and using his scientific brain to figure out a solution. And that, to me, is like classic, you know, just peak Spider-Man. And, and I think he nails it, like, out of the gate, which is so impressive. Like, to, to add all the stuff to the mythos and then still tell, like, a really classic Spider-Man story is really hard. Moving into issue 34, the fight 
calms down a little bit as Moreland gets some new clothing, but it, it rises back up. I like the Ezekiel stuff in here because he's like, look, you need to do this. You need to hide. That's the only way. And when Spidey doesn't hide, he's like, hey, man, See you TFB, sorry. <laughs> uh, and so Spidey's like, all right, you know. But I'm I love that moment too because, yeah, because Peter's like, I'll do what I always have done. I will fight and I'll hopefully win. And that felt like really in character. And it showed that there was more to Ezekiel than just being like a good guy. Like he's got some conflict to him. Like he's going to help you, but he's only going to help you so much. It's also like really fascinating how it parallels really neatly um, to the teacher at the end of issue 31, uh, where he's like, nope, I'm out. Like, I don't need to deal with this. Like, like things just got real way too real for me. And it's crazy. Like I'm out. And Spider-Man is like, I'm in like tag me in. And we see it here too, where he's just like, okay, you're not going to help me. It doesn't matter. I'm in. Yeah. I don't have a choice. Yeah, exactly. And as we start moving into issue 35, last one in this book, like, you go back to the core of who Spider-Man is and he is a science nerd. Like he can solve these types of things. And so like to take that and, you know, immediately go, okay, what can I do with this? Like, how can I, you know, figure out a way to beat him? And then he, he ends up going to a nuclear reactor facility or power plant and essentially starts working with like, like radioactive material. Cause he knows that like, that's the thing that separates him from all the other spider totems. Like yeah. he's like, you might be seeking out the spider of it all, but like, not necessarily the radioactive part of it all. Yeah. And um, it's funny because as I was reading this, I was reading that lizard story that I'm forgetting. It was, I think it was issue Wait, 40. Wait, which early... the story featuring who? Do you mean the lizard? The lizard. <laughs> <laughs> the lizard. Um, and it's, it's got, it has, it set that tone. Like, you know, he's fighting the lizard on a train. He's totally beaten. His arm is broken. But then he figures out, let, let me put him in the cold car. And that is, you know, he uses science. He uses his brain. And that's what kind of sets him apart from just like a strong superhero. Like he's got the scientific mind that can help him in these situations. The gnarly part is, you know, as Spidey is really like taking it to Moreland in, in a very short period of time. It's like Spidey has survived for so long, but Moreland, when the tides are reversed, it's like Moreland just goes down very quickly. He cannot yeah. stand up to what Spidey has figured out to stop him. And you get to see this like weird, gnarly, lizardy looking thing mm-hmm. as his powers are going away. It's it looks really cool. And the page after that, where you find you see Moreland, he's like, please stop. I'll leave you alone, I swear. And Spidey's like, whoa, okay. He's backing off. He's thinking about it. It feels so cinematic. You could tell that JMS is a writer for screen because mm-hmm. the way the next page plays mm-hmm. out, you hear like Spidey's senses go off. Click, look, turn, Dex, turn, you know, like shot of the guy with the gun, then close up of of eyes. And then the like the little bit from Dex going, I quit. Yeah. It's just like, Ear. yeah, it just, yeah, it felt so cinematic and just like, mm-hmm. yeah, I know we were talking before about how cool it would be to just see the scripts and just see see how jms and jr jr were communicating because you're seeing two two talents that are just like at the top of their games and and it's just so fun to watch them kind of jam together yeah and as we start to close out this issue it almost feels like an epilogue where you're like okay here's what else is going on like is ezekiel dead probably not like we start seeing these moments and then that last page where you have aunt may walking in on peter parker and I mean, the seeds were planted before, too, when he made that phone call. And, like, you get that moment where she just sees his suit on the ground all torn up while he's sleeping. And it's just like, da, da, da. Like, I mean, you take, you're taking a breath because, okay, he found his way out. Like, he survived. Mm-hmm. Now we can all rest. 
and then he just like hammers it home with a great like cliffhanger like so good so good if we if we do this again you got to talk some um uh spectacular oh yeah yes or aranya because i hear that uh that's something that you're working on yeah i'm doing a short in uh edge of spider-verse with uh dan slot and carla pacheco and mark bagley so yeah it's kind of wild to see my name with those names but it's yeah it'll be uh an aranya short so that'll be cool Segundo. Yeah. <laughs> Spider party. Yeah. Uh, Alex, I love you. It's love you too. To Thanks you. so much for having me. This was just fun. Yeah. I'll do this anytime. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Where can uh, people find you? Um, AlexSegura.com and on Twitter at Alex underscore Segura. Thanks, Alex. This was great. Bye. Thank you. I know. All right. Big thanks to Alex Segura, who is one of my nearest and dearest. So it makes me really happy to have him on the show, but also to see him doing some Marvel work and yeah. all that stuff. Super duper terrific. Yeah. All right. That is it for us this week. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Cara McGurk Allison. Jill Dubois is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List senior manager of audio production and development. And Brad is very excited because he is ready to enter the Spider-Verse. He's got his Spider-Man costume already. It's all cleaned up. So Spider-Brad is ready to be called into action at any point for Edge of Spider-Verse. Yes, except there has been a misprint in that issue that is going to debut. Um, and it's actually spelled Spider-Brad. So sorry, Brad. He is very uh, white bread. So it is what it is. I'm Ryan. <laughs> and I'm Jasmine. And this is Marvel. Your universe. <laughs>